Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. It is good to be back, okay? It is so good to be back. If you were here last week, Riley gave a phenomenal message, and it was just truly awesome. He kind of has this swagger about him. Now he's out of the room. Now I can actually really talk bad about him. Okay. Um, oh, I thought he was coming back in. But no, he's, he's, in all sincerity, he did such a good job. And I've got to tell you, I plan to be right in the front row cheering him on and listening to him speak live. Uh, but Saturday night, uh, my daughter had 103 fever. And so we kind of were like, you know what? Uh, probably not a great thing to be around a bunch of other kids with that kind of a fever. I was kind of bummed at first. I really wanted to be here with this place. This place has become family, and I really do love this place. But the Lord works in some mysterious and really cool ways sometimes. And, you know, so to be home and to be watching online, uh, which was not my plan, it gave me such a deep appreciation for so many things. Uh, We have such a great team that puts on this service that goes online. They do such a great job with it. And to see uh, Pastor Riley leading the way and doing such a good job, my wife who uh, does great things with worship and so many people on the worship team, I'm just blown away and, and humbled by who makes up this church and so many people that serve every single week. And so a lot of times we give God praise and we, and we do that and, we, and I'm thankful that so many people are supportive, but I just want to say thank you publicly from the stage of how grateful I am for every single person that sits in these seats, every single person that serves on Sunday, God truly is using you in powerful ways. So as a way of saying thank you to volunteers and praising God, can we just give a rounding round of applause for everything? This is our house, and we are excited for this series, but our house, my house growing up, was kind of an interesting place. It was a place of compassion, warmth, love, and a whole lot of dysfunction. I know nobody in this room has some dysfunction in your family, but we did personally. And so it was one of those things, I'm going to tell you everything wrong that went in my childhood today that made me so weird. Uh, So I'm going to start with uh, middle school. No, don't worry. We're not going down that. That that would be like a whole nother counseling session about what happened in my life. But I'm going to kind of give you some good things that kind of helped shape me. I want to kind of tell you what some established universal rules were in the mom household. This applied at every age, every stage, every circumstance. These rules stood whether you liked them or not, and if you violated them, it was not fun, okay? So rule number one, when you walk inside, shoes come off immediately. Even if you're running late to school, which I did frequently, if you ran upstairs or downstairs in your like semi-wet, muddy shoes, and you didn't have time to like do the footprints and, and make sure they're all clean, like mom was coming after you. My mom is amazing, but she's the type of lady that has stripes in the carpet kind of clean. And so, the sh- yeah, I heard the, I heard the groans from the, everybody. Like, are you kidding me? That was her. But shoes were off indoors at all times. Rule number two, you say please and thank you wherever you go. No matter what, like my parents instilled in me, you will say please and thank you. But those are kind of universal. I'm going to get into some more controversial ones. When you are the last person in the bathroom and you use the last of the toilet paper, if you do not replace it 
You are kicked out of the house, it felt like. It was aggressive. Now, here's where there's a sub part of this rule. The toilet paper came over the top. Not behind. Over the top. If you go behind, you're just wrong. It just is what it is. If you go behind, I love you. And it's great, but your life will change when it comes over the top. It will truly change. Because it's, I'm not getting into the nastiness of it, but I tell you it is better. Rule number four. Mom and dad must know where you are at all times, no exceptions. And if you were going somewhere, guess what you had to do? Go to the landline. Yes, landlines. It was awesome. Pick up the phone. Pray to God you remembered mom and dad's cell phone number, which a lot of times I didn't. Call them and say, hey, I'm going over to the neighbor's house. And if you did not call, it's the last time you go anywhere for at least two weeks straight. Now, this last rule was the one I fought the most. When you went to bed, you stayed in bed no matter what. And I am convinced, I am convinced my dad had fun with this rule. Because without fail, my dad would put me to bed at 9 o'clock, which was kind of nice at the time. Puts me to bed at 9 o'clock, and within 15 minutes, I heard the microwave door open. (laughs) Super loud. And I heard one of two things that ensued. One would be popping a popcorn, obviously, but the second one, I'd hear rattling of dishes, and it was almost always my dad heating up chocolate syrup for a huge bowl of ice cream. And so here I am laying in bed wide awake, and I hear the TV volume go up, and I hear ice cream being made, and if you tried to get out of your room and, and like have and join in on the fun, he was not having it, I promise you. So I'm convinced my dad was just having so much fun with that. But it is one of those things every once in a while, he would let me have like a handful of popcorn and then go back to bed. And it was great. But beyond that, those were kind of the main rules. There was nothing else too crazy. But I kind of made my parents seem like dictators. They weren't. Uh, They just were very, very strong. and, and And they made so many good choices that helped shape me. But I think when we look at all these practices, all these things that we do in our home, some of you guys are like, I don't have any of those rules in my house and I'm better for it. But whenever we have these kind of rules and these kind of things and practices in our life, it really does kind of help shape what your house looks like. Growing up as a kid, I was told all the time, like, you're so polite, you're so polite, you're so polite. And it's like, yes, because my parents instilled that in me. They, they, they showed me that you are polite and you have manners wherever you go, whatever you do. And so as we step into this sermon series called Our House, we want to take a look into the walls of our house, the church here at the bridge, the church down the street, the church in the world. When we look at our house, we want to look at what are the things that we do in church and why do we do them? Because the reality is there's a purpose for them. And the church is often called the house of the Lord. So what are those things that make up the rules to live by, if you will, in the context of church? And Acts chapter 2, as Riley talked about last week, gives us such a good picture into this idea. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day, 
they continued to meet together in the temple courts, broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, and they praised God and enjoyed the favor of all the people. And here's the cool part. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. If you go to many churches outside of the bridge, if you go to any church, a lot of times they will look at this text of the Bible, look at this portion of Scripture and go, this is the model by which we want to lead our church. It says they got together and listened to the message from the apostles. Basically what they're doing is every single week they got together and learned about Jesus. They learned about his principles. They learned about who he was. So let's make our services like that. Let's preach the word. Let's preach the Bible. Let's teach you about Jesus. The second principle we see in there, they were in awe and they realized how big and great and awesome God was. So churches go, let's create opportunities for people to experience God and experience the awe that he is. They got together and ate together. Come on, somebody. It is biblical to eat. It is biblical to go to the buffet and load up, all right? It is awesome. Okay, I know there's like gluttony and all that good stuff, but I got to tell you, when Jesus hung out with his people, he ate. And as someone who loves food, I'm all about that. I love getting together with people. Last Sunday night, a bunch of guys, I think we had like 18 guys in here. We had wings. We had pizza. We did have a veggie tray that did not get frequented a ton, but there was some stuff that was eaten out of there. I promise you that. You need some good fiber every once in a while. In that vegetable tray, we tried something called jicama. Anyone ever heard of jicama? It's very good, very fibrous, very interesting. It's awesome. But we got together and we ate and we hung out and there was just this this fellowship that happened that was cool. But this is the model that a lot of churches will follow because it's a good one. We see that daily people were coming to know Jesus and it was awesome. But there are two verses in here that seem a little more estranged. Two verses that kind of, whoa, that's, that's not quite how we do things here. And it's verse 44 and 45. Verse 44 says this, they had everything in common and they sold their possessions and gave to those in need. Now, at first glance, the 44 seems like a little crazy. We could like literally draw a line down the middle at some point and divide our church based upon thought, right? I'm not even talking about how we vote, but I'm talking about who likes canes and who doesn't. Raising canes, people, you'd be over here. The other two of you that don't like raising canes, you'd be over there. You can divide things so easily. But when I look at this verse, for so long I thought, I read that and go, they have everything in common. They're like, they, they think the same way. But it's not, when we look at what the actual meaning of the text is, it's not that. Another translation reads it like this. All the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. All the time, we get emails and calls about our church, which I love. People who are trying to check things out and going, hey, tell me a little bit about your church. So a lot of times it's like, hey, yeah, like I'm, my name is Derek. I'm the pastor here. If you come here and see like a 14-year-old kid, it is me. Uh, just, just make sure what you're prepared to see me that I am 27, even though I don't look my age. But I'm the pastor here. Our services are about an hour long. And they go, okay, cool. We have about 20 minutes of musical worship where we have like upbeat contemporary music. We connect with God through worship. It's awesome. Okay, that sounds great. And then afterwards in the lobby, we can hang out. You can get a cup of coffee, donuts. Cool, that sounds great. Can you imagine if I responded with this last little piece here? 
And oh yeah, one small thing, we want to ensure that everybody in the church has a baseline of the same salary. So if you, uh, make, a, if you make more than X amount of dollars, what we're going to have you do is there's going to be a big bucket when you walk in, just d- deposit all of it, sell all your extra stuff, all your toys, and then just give it to us and we'll divvy it out to make sure everybody has the same amount of money. I'll get one of two responses. Either I'll be there on Sunday or... Right? Like, this sounds radical. This sounds extreme. Like, are you kidding me? Like, they sold all of their stuff and shared with other people. This seems like such a radical thing. And so we learn about this and we go, how in the world does this reconcile? Right? Because so many churches will will take Acts chapter 2 and go, how do we make this happen? But if you're reading this, you're going, this sounds communist. Literally, like communism of sharing things. That's what it looks like when you read this at at, at first glance. But I've got to tell you, the more I've studied this, the more I've looked at this, it's not what the text is really, really fully saying. Because when you look at Acts chapter 2, what we have is they devoted themselves to growth and teaching. They devoted themselves to worship and prayer. They devoted themselves to serving and getting together, what Riley talked about last week. But there is a fourth part of that in giving. And for so long, I've wrestled with this. If I can be fully transparent and fully honest with our church this morning, I have been a pastor for six years. Before that six years, I was an intern and I served in a church for another three years. So I've been in ministry one way or another for about nine years or so. And in those nine years, there's a few things that I've have like really had no fears about preaching about, tough things. I preach about current events, which is terrifying sometimes. I preach about sin, and that can feel a little intimidating. Nobody likes to be told about sin. I preach about tough theological issues that make your brain feel like a bowl of soup. But there's one thing that I have been so, so scared to preach about for so long. And what is it? Giving. Why? Why is it terrifying to preach about Money, here's why. Because my whole life, I've heard with my own ears, I've thought even, that all the church wants is my money. That's all they want. They don't care about me as a person. They don't care about what it is. They just want me to come in. They want to guilt trip me, so I give my money, and I walk out the door, and that's it. I've experienced that in other churches. I've heard that time and time again. And I've got to tell you, church, what terrifies me is I need you to know my heart. I haven't preached about it ever. Literally, in nine years of ministry, I've never had a message just on giving. And it's terrified me because at my heart, that is the complete opposite of what my heart is. My heart is to see people come alive in Christ. My heart is for people to know that you have value, that you have purpose, that you have significance in your life. My heart is that you know that Jesus gave his life because he loves you, he cares about you, and the only thing he wants in your life is to be in relationship with you. That's all he wants, to have a tight, intimate relationship. And more than anything, he wants you to know when you walk in these doors, before you lift a finger that you are loved, that you are forgiven, that you are accepted, that you don't have to stand condemned, you don't have to sit there in shame and guilt no matter what this week brought you. When you sit down in this chair, the heart of Jesus is for you to understand, I don't care what you do. 
did. I don't care where you came from. I just love you. And that is our heart here at the bridge. That is all we want you to do. Because at our heart, we just want you to experience the life that Jesus has for you. And so I've never preached about money. Why? Because if that's the conception you have when you walk in these doors, you're going to walk out feeling gross. And you're going to walk out missing out on this life that Jesus has for you. And I've been so scared of that for so long. But what I've learned is that the truth is that your standing with God is not consistent with what you put in the offering basket, good or bad. What you put in the basket does not dictate how God sees you. And that is something that needs to be established right away. But here is what the Lord started to speak to me about. Because I, you ever, anyone ever fought with God before? Yeah, like it's one of those things where it's like, hey, God, I'm going to do it this way. And he's like, cool. It's not the right way to do it, but go ahead. It's kind of he's like a, a parent who's like, hey, mom, I'm going to jump off this 10-foot cliff. Can I do that? Sure. When you bust your leg, like it'll, it'll teach you we have one of those. Literally last night, I heard a huge thud, and I go out into the living room, and our daughter Parker is like a puddle on the middle of the floor. Because she jumped off the couch, she started to cry a little bit, you know, console her. What does she do? Right back to the couch, jump right off. Sometimes I think that's how God sees us. He's trying to teach us things and equip us with things. And we're like, okay, cool, I feel better. I learned my lesson. Then we jump right back into it, right? But where God has really been working on me is he goes, I know your heart is to not scare away people with money. But the thing is, is when people trust me with their money, they're trusting me with the thing they value so deeply. When you can surrender and say, God, I trust you with my finance, there's a whole other intimacy and connection that comes along with this. So by me refraining from teaching us about what the Bible actually says about money and not what the church says we ought to do, I'm actually robbing you of an intimacy with God that is so deep. I'm robbing you of an experience of freedom and joy that comes with God at the center of everything. So what does the Bible say? What does it look like? Because Acts chapter 2 makes it look like everybody just like sold everything. You couldn't have any toys. You couldn't have a nice cabin. You couldn't be wealthy. You had to have just enough, and then you have to sell everything. Is that what the Bible says? No, it actually doesn't. The Bible says that in Philippians chapter 4, I love this. Paul said, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned that the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Paul's saying, I've been wealthy and I've been poor. But the heart at the center of all of it is to be content. I love looking at Job. This man, I love in Job chapter 1, it says this, Job was a man who was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. You know what the Bible doesn't say explicitly? He was loaded. The dude was loaded. He had so much money. He was rich. He had 7,000 goats, 3,000 camels. He had so much money. Yet God still says he was a man who was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. Being a Christian, being a believer in God, and being wealthy are not mutually exclusive. 
You can be wealthy or you can be poor. But to love and believe in Jesus is the thing. And Jesus himself often referenced money in his parables. 11 out of his 39 different parables or these stories he would teach were about money. He used money as a metaphor. Not all of them were inherently about money, but money was the metaphor he used, which tells me it's significant. It's a good principle. And so often you hear money is the root of all evil. I know I've heard that before. Money is the root of all evil. But here's what scripture says, 1 Timothy chapter 6. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. This is where the root of how God wants us to see our money is really where it comes into fruition. Money, biblical finances, is not a matter of dollars and cents as much as, much, as much as it is a heart issue. That love of money is where you get into trouble. I got to have more. Got to have more. I'm going to stay longer at the office because I want to rise up in my company. I want to do things. And all of a sudden now we're neglecting time at home with family, with spouse, with kids. That drive for money causes you to cut corners, to cheat your way through, to try and get what you want. That drive for money causes you to manipulate other people, all these negative things that come with it. And verse 9 says this in that same verse, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. We having fun yet? Is this life-giving? This is not always crazy, right? It's not one of those things where we go through this and we go, man, I want to talk about this. It kind of makes us squirm a little bit, right? But the thing about all of this is I've learned so often through this that you can be a driven, ambitious person who wants to work hard, who works hard for your money, who has a really great life, and you can enjoy that with God's blessing. But at the same time, You can also go through difficult things and trying things and know that God is still behind you with it. What you have in your bank account is not what dictates God's blessing on your life. It's not what dictates who you are and what you are. But here's what I've found about wealth. Because here's what I've also known. When I was 16 years old and sitting down at a computer and doing job placement things, the things where they ask you a bunch of questions like, what do you like? What are you going to be with your whole life? My top four we're surgeon, physician, uh, what's the, the one where you like give shots? I'm, I'm blanking on it. Um, thank you. Yes. Like, basically, here's what I'll tell you. All four, different than the pastor's salary. I'm just going to say that, okay? Like, it was one of those things, like, the starting salary back then in 2011 was like $150,000. And I'm like, Yes, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to have a beautiful wife. We're going to have a cabin and four cars. It's going to be sweet. I got the wife. She makes up for the four cars. Let me tell you what. But here's what I'll say. Is the, the, the myth, the thing that I believed for so long was that if I have all of this money, all of my problems go away, right? If I have all this money, 
Then I got security. Never have to worry about like this, un, this unforeseen bill coming up. I'm going to be set. You know, if I can buy a cabin and I can buy a jet ski and I can buy a nice boat and I can buy a nice dog, this is sounding fun. You buy all this stuff, right? And it makes you feel like, oh, this is going to be so awesome. All of it's going to just like all of this, like this sadness and stress is just going to dissipate when I'm on my nice boat in the middle of Lake Minnetonka. There's this misconception that when you have all of this, you're just going to feel like I've arrived. And people who have a lot of money, right, they carry a sense of respect. So when I was 16 years old looking at my future and going, I can't wait to have all this money. It's going to be because I'm going to be set. Yeah, I'm going to have to work hard. I'm going to have to go to a bunch of medical school. But it doesn't matter because at the end of it, my life is going to be made. It's a myth. It's a misconception. It's what everybody chases after. You don't have to look far to find an athlete, an actor, an actress who have everything. Yet all of a sudden these problems that they struggled with never really went away. That aching isolation, that aching depression. What we're after are good things. I firmly believe nobody is like, I want to make a bunch of money so I can be corrupt. And if you do have that thought, let's talk, okay? But nobody has that thought. What you're really wanting is that security. To know your family is going to be okay. To know you're going to provide what they need. To know when something happens, you're not going to be lost and gone. We want that security. We want that fulfillment to our life to know the very thing we work hard for, we can have. We want to have that approval, that respect, that validation to know people care about me and love me. Those are all good things. Those are all amazing things. I'd be a hypocrite if I told you I didn't chase those very same things. But where God has showed me through this book is that those things, while we think where they're found in our bank account balance, they're not. Because even when you get that bank account balance, those things don't always come where they need to. But there is somewhere that they can. Fulfillment of your wealth comes from division and not acquisition. Acts chapter 20 says this, In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. It is so fun to be able to give to somebody in need. To see how much it helps them and blesses them. It is such a blessing. We had the ability as a church to give one of our missionaries in December. We had, we had some extra people who had donated some things. And so we got to write a check to one of our missionaries. And I got a message about four days later. Him saying, I opened the envelope and visibly gasped because it was exactly what we needed in our family at this time. It was one of those things they opened it and it was a life-changing answer to prayer for their family. And I've got to tell you, as a pastor, as a church, it made me feel so happy to know that someone's taken care of. There was a joy there that came through that. So when we talk about giving, we talk about using our wealth, 
I feel like I'm preaching to the choir because guess what? There are so many people in this church who get it. You know how I know you get it? Because you give generously and faithfully all the time. A church our size should not be having what it has, but you guys are saying, I get it. I get the heart of this. So I'm going to continue to give and give cheerfully. But here's what I really want to hone in tonight. Because it's not a matter of giving that I think is a struggle. I think it's when there's an absence that money gets a little more scary. Security, when it comes to finances, is not found in the number, it's found in the source. I vividly remember my wife when we were first married. We got married between junior and senior year, which was an adventure. It was awesome. To the point where we were giving plasma to be able to have some extra money to be able to go and get groceries. And I will never forget, there was, we had one car we were sharing. Um, I did make about 10 cents an hour, working about 10 hours a week in the, in the mail center of our university, which was, I, I'm exaggerating, but it was next to nothing. To the point when we had to have a brake job done in our vehicle that was $400, we were sitting there going, how in the world are we going to do this? How in the world? Thankfully, we had enough saved up from birthdays and everything, but there was one day I will never forget. Check engine light comes on our car about two months later. Where are my check engine light people on? Yeah? Some of you guys drive around with check engine lights on all the time. You're like, I know it's an O2 sensor, but I don't care. But for me, as someone who is hyper-vigilant, hyper-worry, when that check engine light came on, I started noticing the car lurching every once in a while. I was like, crap. This is be not good, okay? So all of a sudden, it's a week later. My wife and I both need our vehicles for our internships to graduate. We need our car to go anywhere. We're downtown Minneapolis. All of a sudden, the car really started lurching. We bring it to the nearest mechanic, barely got it there, walk back to campus. I'll never forget sitting in the campus mail store, getting a call from the mechanic saying, hey, um, you blew a tranny. It's going to be about $2,500 to fix it. Your car's worth about 200 bucks, but you can fix it if you want. But I will never forget that call because in that moment, I was scared to death. We didn't have that money. We didn't have a backup plan. We weren't sitting on a huge nest egg. I will never forget walking back home to my wife, telling her the news, and both of us sitting there kind of like crying, going, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? This is where I love my wife. She's just truly amazing. She grabs my hand and goes, let's just pray. Just pray. We sit there and we pray. We collect ourselves. And all of our things, all of our problems went away, right? No. No. We prayed and we trusted God, but the problem was still there. There's this misconception that we just pray all of our problems go away, and that's not true. But here's what did change. There was a peace. There was, a, I don't know how, I don't know when, but I think God's going to work this out. 
Because we realize that our security is not found in the number, it's found in the source. Because yes, the bank account was reading negative $12. But we knew it was going to be okay. Why? Because we believe that God has our best interest in mind. Check this out in Luke chapter 12. I love this imagery that Jesus himself says. Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. That's easy, right? Don't worry. Don't worry what you're going to eat or about your body, what you're going to wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than birds? And who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? I ought to get this on a t-shirt or tattoo this to my forehead. Because as someone who worries compulsively, this is difficult to wrap my head around. But he goes on. Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? Money is scary. It really is. Why? Because our whole life is contingent upon it. But I have found time and time in my life, church, that God loves us like a good parent does. And being a parent has changed the way I have a relationship with God because even when my kids are struggling through something, I'm never going to leave them by themselves. Never going to let them go. So why do we think that God isn't in the middle of our situation? It's one thing to be stressed not about where you're going to go on vacation and what you're going to do, but it's a whole other thing. You sit down at your kitchen table and go, are we going to pay this bill or this bill? Because we can't pay them both. It's one thing to go, we're way behind, and all of a sudden now my husband got laid off. What are we going to do? It's one thing when your razor-tight budget is going well, and all of a sudden water heater goes out, son's car blows a transmission, and you're going, cool, guess we got to walk 25 miles to work. It's a whole other level of scary and intimidation. But what I've found, the reason I want to talk about money today, church, is because when we trust God with our finances, don't know always know how or when, but he always, always takes care of it. Always. Because here's what happens, I think, sometimes. I apologize in advance, because I don't think this is going to sound good in my mic, but here's what I think happens a lot of times didn't wash these either, so hopefully there's no toxins on them. We get our paycheck, right? And the Bible says that we're supposed to give our first fruits. We're supposed to give the first 10%. That's what the Bible says. But honestly, I think that's a little scary and intimidating. I know it is. So here's what I think happens, because we look at this paycheck and go, my goodness, our mortgage is really big right now. 
There's part of our paycheck, okay? Now we have our car payment that comes out next. Gas for our car, which right now... Here go the eggs. But I don't know about you guys, but for me, when I get my paycheck, it's like, cool. There it goes. There goes our mortgage. There goes our cars. There goes our insurance. There goes diapers. Feeding me. I'm not going to go through all of it. You get the point. I think sometimes we get down to the core. And we go, all right, God, here you go. You can have that. And that's good. It's better than nothing. I'll never forget. Even when we were dirt poor. Giving was terrifying. So I think for some of us, you look at that apple and you go, even if everything goes right, we're going to have two seeds left. So now this preacher man is saying you get 10% off the top? Are you kidding me? That's not possible. It's not. But can I just tell you, we made this leap to trust God with our finances something changed it's not just us I've sat in my office with people going I don't know how but we start trusting God with our finances and everything is better everything is better when you give God finances and you trust him with finances mark my words take this to the bank the blessings will come back to you sometimes financial sometimes emotional sometimes spiritual but I can tell you with a large amount of confidence the scares have kept coming there have been times when things look tight And it's easy to go, do we not tithe this month? Do we not give the church this month? Because we could really use it. And we've made the choice to say, God, we trust you. Because you clothe the flowers, you feed the birds, and we're way more valuable to you than birds or flowers. And I can't tell you the amount of times we've received random things here and there to the scent of exactly what we need. Why? Because God cares about you. He cares about you. And he cares about the church. If you want to know the honest truth about why we have to talk about giving in church, it's not because I need a paycheck. It's not because we need fancy lights in this place. It's not because of anything that benefits me. The reason that finances are a thing, the reason they talk about in Acts chapter 2, is because there are people in the world 
who don't know the life of Jesus. They don't know there's hope for their marriage. They don't know there's deliverance from their addictions. They don't know that there's another chapter to this story that looks dark and bleak and scary. And they don't know that Jesus loves them and cares for them and is there for them in every sense of the way. And when we give, people get to experience that. They gave and they sold their possessions for what? To help those in need. This is a thing that we don't just talk about, we model. Every one of our staff ties. Every one of our staff gives above and beyond to missionaries. Our church in general, 10% of everything that comes back in goes right back out into missionaries, into our community, into things. And here's what I'll say, church. I don't know who gives what. I never will. Why? Because that's between you and him. As a matter of fact, if you're newer to our church, can I ask you something? Don't give. Don't give. If you want to give, great. The reason I say that is because I want you to know this is not a guilt trip. But it is an invitation. I promise you, God does provide because there is a security even when things look bleak even when things look like I don't know how we're going to do this there is a confidence knowing he does God does he's going to provide as he always does one of my favorite stories in the Bible put up on the screen here it's not about the number Jesus was sitting in a temple and all of a sudden he saw person after person come and give, come and give, come and give, come and give, come and give. But then there's a widow that walks in. She gives two cents. It's American money value, but relative to what it was actually worth, it was next to no money. But Jesus says you're blessed because you gave what you had. This is between you and God. And this is one of those things where it's not a matter of how much you give, it's what you're willing to trust him with. Will you trust him with what you have? Because I promise you, he's here for it. And here's the cool thing about God is, I didn't think it would be wise and a good steward to just buy $400 worth of apples. But the thing is, God's got a whole bunch more apples. So even when it feels like we have nothing left to give, he's going to provide. And if there's one thing I want you guys to walk out with today as we talk about my favorite subject in the whole wide world, it's that God's got you. He does. And I am so thankful that so many people in this church have bought in what's happening as we pursue the dreams and the passions that God's put on our heart for our community of St. Francis and beyond we can't do it without everyone in this place I just want you to have the freedom to know God's with you and he's behind you he's not done Riley talked about ownership last week how serving makes you an owner of what's happening here be a part of what's happening. 
if you're new, come be a part of this family. We're not looking for anything from you. We're not. We just want you to join us. Come be a part of what God's doing in this place. Would you pray with me this morning? Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that the family in our house is growing. I thank you, God, that you're doing a fresh and a new work in us and through us. Father, I pray for anyone that's new that's visiting. I pray that they would feel welcomed. I pray that they would feel that it doesn't matter what life has brought them through, what they're doing, that you love them, that you care for them, and more than anything, you just want to move in them. God, I just pray for every single person in this room that you would be with them, that you would guide them, that you would direct them in the ways they ought to go. Jesus, you are faithful, you are good. I just pray as we walk out of this place today, would you provide? As we trust you with our life, as we trust you with what is so valuable, would you continue to provide and help us in so many ways, God? You are faithful always. And you will never not be there for us. We walk out of this place, God, feeling renewed, feeling seen, feeling taken care of. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.